0: Okay, so if you are new or you've missed a couple weeks, uh, last week we looked at this this really powerful scene uh, as Jesus's ministry is climaxing here. To this, to we kicked off Passion Week last week, where he's riding into Jerusalem. Uh, we we know it as Palm Sunday or the Triumphal Entry, and he's riding in on this on this small donkey, and and everybody is crying out, uh, the Messiah is here, and and they're and he's receiving it, he's receiving that praise. It's this crazy scene where a crowd has been uh, following following him, and there's a crowd coming out of Jerusalem. They're there for the Passover, this huge uh, festival, and. They're cutting palm branches. They're waving them. They're, they're putting their cloaks out uh, before him and, and just honoring him as the Messiah. And as Jesus is receiving this praise and he makes his way up towards Jerusalem, it says that he wept. He wept over the city. He wept over the reality uh, of the people's hearts who were worshiping him, and he knew that it wasn't genuine. It wasn't authentic. It was, it was misplaced. It was misguided. They were looking for someone to be their deliverer from Rome, and he knew he wasn't that. And then ultimately, as, as he looks at that and, and is facing that emotion, that anger, uh, he looks at the city, and he sees the devastation that's coming, knowing that that city was going to be destroyed and the lives that were going to be lost because they missed out on the Savior. They missed out on Jesus. And so we're challenged, like, in our own lives, in our own hearts, where are we at with Jesus? Where's our worship at with Jesus? And we pick up then where he's in Jerusalem And verses 20. We'll look at verses 20 through 26 here first, and it says this. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So uh, the text tells us there's these Greeks who are there in Jerusalem, uh who are worshiping. Okay, so so during that time there were Greeks who who started believing in the God of Israel, and they would go and celebrate uh, at the Passover as well. And there was actually a section marked off for them. They couldn't go fully into the temple. They had to stay out in this outer courtyard. They, they would call it the courtyard of the Gentiles. And so Jesus uh, is, is speaking, and as he's speaking, uh, these Greeks, who we don't know anything about, other than they were Greek. We don't know where they were from. Uh, we don't know their names. Uh, all we know is that they approach Philip, and we don't even know why they approached Philip. But they approach Philip, and they say, hey, we want to meet with Jesus. We want to talk with him. And so Philip goes to Andrew, and then together, Philip and Andrew go to Jesus, and they say, hey, there's these Greeks here, and they want some time with you. Now, what's so interesting about this uh, passage is we don't hear about any response Uh, that Jesus gives to these Greeks specifically. In fact, they don't talk, doesn't talk about them again. But what happened is as they, as as Philip and Andrew come to Jesus and they say, these Greeks want to meet with you. They want to spend some time with you. It leads Jesus then to declare to everybody there, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified the hour has come. Now, throughout his ministry, Jesus would say, the hour has not yet come. And so for him to now say the hour has come, I want you to put yourself there. Now, this crowd has once again greeted him, given him this Messiah's welcome. And in their mind, he's what? He's about to establish his kingdom, overthrow Rome. And so what he says, now is the time, you better believe they're like, here we go. It's time. Finally, he's ready. And and, and, and so uh, in this moment, they're hearing one thing, but he's about to say something else. Because all those hopes and desires they had to where Jesus was going to claim his throne right now and destroy Rome, he's going to destroy that dream with what he says Next using this agricultural illustration that they would have understand, he tells them, yes, I'm going to be glorified, but not through destroying Rome. I'm going to be glorified through my death. See, for Jesus, the way to glory was the way of the cross. See, one of the things you see in Scripture at the beginning of Jesus's ministry is he, he's, he's fasting, he's out in the wilderness and Satan comes, meets him there and, 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 and he waits till he's weak and, and Satan approaches him and one of the temptations that Satan tempts him with is to bypass the cross. What, what, he, he, he says, listen, all you have to do is kneel down. In fact, you could drop something Pretend you're picking it up. Just drop down before me. No one's here. No one's going to see. And you can bypass the cross. All that suffering, all that shame, all that pain, and I'll give you all the kingdoms. You can have that. Right? So so he gives them this opportunity to not have to go to the cross. But Jesus denies that temptation. Why? Because that wasn't the will and plan of the Father. And so Jesus throughout his life was what? He was operating under the will and plan of the Father. And just as a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies to produce this rich harvest, so also Jesus' death would provide an incredible spiritual harvest that those of you in this room or watching online right now who have made him Lord and Savior of your life, you are part of that spiritual harvest through his death. See, he's gonna achieve victory over the grave by actually going to the grave. He died so that we could have life. But then Jesus uh, takes this and turns uh, this principle and he applies it to his disciples, to the disciples that are around him. Now, what's a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Jesus. And so he takes this principle of the seed and then he applies it to everybody there, to to us included. And and he goes into this and says, the one who loves his life, uh, in other words, who loves this this world, the things of this world, world, the things that are not of God, uh, the person who loves the things of this world um, more than the kingdom of God, the will, the desires of God, they're going to ultimately lose it. But the one who hates his life in this world by making Jesus their first priority will keep their life for eternity. Now, when we say the one who hates their life, we're not talking about people who just walk around like Eeyore going, I just hate life. I hate people, I hate you, I hate my situation. There's a different name for those people, okay? That's not what it's talking about. When he talks about hating life, this was actually a Semitic term, uh, an expression that they would say, and essentially what they're saying is giving preference to something else over that. So when he says, hate this world, he's saying, Jesus, uh, the kingdom of God, has to take preference priority over this world, and so that's what it means when He says, "Hate this world." He's saying, "Give priority to the plans of God, the kingdom of God, over the plans of this world, the desires of this world." See, having um, having a life that means choosing Jesus over all of these things, you guys, it's it's tough, isn't it? When you think about what he calls us to, right? In Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 through 39, Jesus says this, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Okay. This is so hard. And yet some of us, we've been conditioned because we've read these verses so often. We're almost numb to it. But the fact that, that, that he literally describes the most powerful relationships that we can have, he says, you are going to have to make a choice as to what's going to be the priority in your life. And it's going to have to be me. If you want, if you want to be about me then I have, to be, I have to take priority over your family. So when I look at following Jesus, I go, man, like does he have precedence even over my family who I love deeply? Does he have precedence over my possessions or maybe the things I hope to get or I desire to have? Do, do I choose Jesus over my goals? Right? some of you are just like, these are my goals. I will achieve them. Now we add, thus saith the Lord sometimes to those goals. But he says, Will you pursue him over those goals, over our plans, over even our desires, right? Ultimately, even over the priority of us, ourselves. Pick up your cross and follow me. You know, one of the things I love about scripture and I love just about Christianity as a whole is that Jesus repeatedly, cautioned those who would follow him to consider the cost. You know, you would think if you were trying to get a whole bunch of people into something, what would you do? You would not speak about the cost and you would just speak about all the rewards and the benefits, right? But I love how it doesn't sugarcoat the cost, Oh, it doesn't sugarcoat how, how like, you know, we want, we want him to say, it's just gonna be easy. We want him to say, oh, following Jesus, like, it's just a part of your plan, your desires, uh, the life you desired. And no, 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 he says, no, I need to take precedence over all of that. Those who truly come to Jesus are called to love him above everything else. It's gonna supersede everything else in your life. Now, now, one of the, the areas that is tough to acknowledge, but but it's a reality for a lot of us, is this means that I'm going to choose him over sin. You're like, ooh. Now, what is sin? Sin is anything you say or do or or, or you think that is in opposition to God's word, to God's will for your life. Now, what I find, what I see so often in our Culture and this cultural Christianity is um, I'm gonna go all in with you, God. I'm gonna follow Jesus, but I'm, I'm still gonna do this. Okay, I'm still gonna do this. I I know, I know what it says, I know, I know, but I'm still gonna do this. Now, if I say, and let's just use me for an example, if I say I'm all in, Jesus, but I want you to know I'm still gonna do this thing that hurts you, this thing that you say is gonna hurt me, this thing that is in opposition to your will for my life. What am I actually doing? I am taking that sin and I'm actually elevating it above the creator. I know. Sometimes I go, man, this is harsh. But If that is harmful to you and harmful to God's greatest good for your life, what are you doing, right? At some point, you got to ask, what am I doing? Why? Why? When when the creator who loves me and and, and invites me and all my issues, all my problems— my mental, my emotional, my physical issues and, 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 and the continual uh, struggle that I have that I bring to the table. And he says, Steve, follow me, pursue me, put me above these things. And But I still will say, well, I don't know. I don't trust you. I wanna elevate this thing because I wanna do that above you. You guys, we can't have that, right? He calls us out of that. He calls us away from the self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is essentially, I'm right above all else, right? He, he calls us out of that. Now, now we got to ask the question, well, how do I do this? How do I put him above everything else? How do I, as the expression goes, hate the things of this world when they sound so appealing, they look so great, and everybody around me is like, you need to have this. How do I do this? Well, the answer is, is pretty simple, but it's, it's verse 26. What does he say there? He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Must follow me. Guys, if we're going to pursue Jesus with all that we are, it's just like if you're going to pursue any other thing in your life, what do you do? You make it a focal point and you go after it. You run towards it. In 1 John 2, verse 6, he says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And then later, uh, in first John chapter three, verse 24 it says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. Okay. So, so if, 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 if we desire to put him ahead of all of these other things that are competing for your heart and your mind and your focus, you're going to have to make a decision as to who you're going to follow. And he says, you can do it, but you've got to make a choice to follow me. And to follow me means you're going to walk just as I walk. Isn't it, it's funny for, for some of you that are parents, isn't it crazy when you see your kids even start to like walk like you? Like physically do things and you go, that's me. It's because they're looking at you. And if they're younger, they still think you're cool. And so um, I'm still in the cool phase. I just want to stay. It's like done, okay? Because I know the other phase is coming where it's like, don't talk to me. Don't look at me, dad. And don't hug me, right? Um, now I'm hoping we can avoid it. But I know that train's probably coming. So, in, but right now, it's, it's, we're literally looking at him going, oh my goodness, I did that. Or look at how he walks and all of those things. You know why? Because they're, at this point, looking up to us and they're emulating us. We have their attention. We even have their desire. You guys, if you desire Jesus, you're going to want to follow him. You're going to want to follow him. You're going to want to pursue him. And, and, and a byproduct of that is you're going to obey his commands. And and, and, and you're going to obey him. Why? Because you're pursuing him. And you trust him. Now, I want you to hear this, because this is incredible. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, do this, pick up your cross, and follow me, love me above all else, and good luck with that. This is what's so cool about Scripture. Scripture. Jesus actually makes a couple promises for those who will follow him. What does he say there? He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And then where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. Okay, man, church, you better not miss this. He says what? If you follow me, you will be where I am. That didn't have its effect. That's cool. No. Later on, John 14, 3, he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. Amen? He's he's coming back for you. There you go. Someone's here. He's going to take you. He's bringing you with him. Okay, so, so you're like I don't I can't do it, God. I don't know. I don't. I don't ah, this is tough. This is hard. This is He's like, man, just follow me. Follow me. I am going to take you and and bring you to where I am. He's talking about eternal heaven. You're going there. So he says, remember that. And then he says, what? You will also be honored by my father. Now, you guys, uh, the Olympics have been going on. Whether you've been watching them or not people are uh, receiving honors, these medals that reflect that they are the best at what they do on the planet earth. Highest of achievement, right? It's the, it's the pinnacle of an achievement. And, and, and if you've watched some and, and some of those things, you get caught up in it, right? Because of the emotion and the, the gravity of it. And you're just like, oh my goodness, they did it. Uh, you know, and, and, and they're doing this. Maybe I'm the only one, and, but that's okay. But yeah, I think it's emotional, and you look at the honor and what that means, what that represents, guys. This is the Almighty God saying, I'm gonna honor you, and it's gonna make whatever metal, whatever thing, whatever thing at work, whatever thing you hope to achieve with anything on this planet the honor I bring into your life is going to have an immediate impact and even more importantly, an eternal impact so that you can follow him. And even though he may feel distant, even though you may be going, what are you doing? I can't see it. I can't understand it. I don't know why this is my journey right now. You know that by the authority of scripture, he is bringing honor to what he's calling you to do. It's for eternity. And that's a legacy. then he keeps going here. And in verse 27, it says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. So knowing that his death was central to God's redemptive plan, we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Okay? So he knew that that was the redemptive plan of God. And it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. But there's this other side of the cross that, that, that Jesus went through that the writer of Hebrews alluded to right after that in the same verse uh, when he says, What? Despising the shame. Despising the shame. And so what we see is that Jesus, when he says, my soul is troubled, is, man, there is this battle going on to where he knows what he's called to do. He knows that, that it's the Father's will, it's the Father's plan. He knows what it's going to, to bring, but he also, in his soul, in his spirit, he is troubled, in fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane that we're gonna look at later, troubled to the point of tears, drops of blood. That thought, that anticipation of bearing the shame of sin, experiencing God's wrath that was dumped out on Jesus. All of this caused Jesus's soul to become troubled. You guys, Jesus didn't go to the cross detached from the feelings and emotions that went along with it. Fully human, fully God. And we see the humanity of Jesus as he's feeling and walking through this pain associated with bearing the curse of sin. In his humanity, he agonized over this this unjust, this shameful, this cruel death that, that, that awaited him, but he would not deviate from God's plan of redemption. And what's his immediate response to this? What's his answer to his own hypothetical question here? He says, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. So he brings emotion to it. He brings the reality of what he's facing. It's troubling his soul deeply. But then he says, listen, it's for this very hour that I have come. It's for this very hour that I am here. And then he prayed, Father, glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. You guys, the ultimate reason that Jesus came to earth, it wasn't for you and for me. It was for the Father's glory. That's the reason. See, the universe and every creature in it is designed for the glory of God. See, the cross, and this is a mistake we make a lot of times, the cross is not first about us, okay? We are recipients of what was accomplished on the cross, but we're not the focus of the cross. The glory of God is the focus of the cross. If we were the focus of the cross, I don't know if Jesus would have done it. Because you and I don't bring much to the table. Amen? We're an honest church. We bring mistakes, failures, disappointments, regret, addiction, pain, all these things we bring to the table. But Jesus willfully went to the cross out of obedience to the Father, bringing glory to the Father. You want to glorify God, you display his attributes. His attributes are no more clearly seen than when Jesus goes to the cross for you and for me. Guys, Christianity isn't about you or me. It's about God. And Jesus shows us what it means to live a life for the glory of God. And so the question we have is, what would our life look like if we demonstrated complete commitment to the glory of god like jesus did what would our life look like what would my motives look like if all of my motives were brought under the question of does this glorify god not does this glorify me not does this glorify what i desire but but if i actually look at my motives and ask does this glorify god what would it look like if I looked at my actions, the things I'm doing, the things I'm involved in, and I asked myself, does this glorify God? What if I looked into the thoughts, these voices in my head, that, that, that for some of you, they are running you ragged, and what if I asked, do those thoughts, do those voices glorify God? Who were they glorifying because you guys, if we're going to walk as Jesus walked, if we're going to say I'm going all in and, and, and our purpose in life is to bring glory to God, then I have to look minute by minute, second by second, hour by hour, daily. And I've got to ask, is, is, is everything about who Steve is, is it bringing glory to God or is it bringing himself glory? Is it bringing his desires glory? Is it bringing an agenda glory or is it all about him? And Jesus, when he uttered this prayer, there was this dramatic response. God spoke audibly from heaven. And he says, just as he'd glorified his name through Jesus's life, he would now glorify himself through Jesus's death. Now the crowd is there. They, they heard this. And, 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 you know, when God does something unexplainable, what do we try and do? How do we connect this to something that I can just make sense of this? And so some of them are like, man, it just thundered. Did you hear that? And they're like, no. Others actually identified, man, that was a voice. They didn't understand what the words were, but they, but they go, that was a voice. And they attribute it to who? To an angel. They said, an angel just talked to him. And so, and so they're both, they, they both heard this. They, they, they understand that something just happened. A voice has spoken, and yet none of them could understand what was going on. And, and Jesus says, listen, that was not for me. That was for you. That was for you. That was for your faith. That was for your understanding. This voice came to strengthen the faith of those who were standing by. And then in verses 31 through 34, we see Jesus say, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? So what we see here is now remember, Jesus is speaking about what? He's speaking about the cross, and at the cross, God judged our sins by executing justice on Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, one, that is great news if you believe in Jesus, if you've made Him Lord and Savior of your life. That is phenomenal news, right? Because He's taken the judgment. The, the wrath that you and I deserved and, and Jesus took it upon himself. God dumped that on Jesus. You deserved it. I deserved it. We didn't get it. Jesus took that wrath so that if I have made him Lord and Savior of my life and received that free gift, I'm now what? I'm walking around going, right? Has sin that death has been defeated, but here is the reality as well, because he says, "What now is the judgment of this world?" So that very act on the cross that brought salvation, that also that that very act on the cross also sealed the fate for those who would reject Jesus. Because now, because of the cross, rejecting Jesus means you're rejecting the perfect sacrifice for your sins, ultimately meaning you're choosing to bear that, which is what? It's death. It's saying, man, that's great, he did that. But ultimately by my refusal to believe in him, I'm saying, nope, still mine, still mine, which which is judgment. But then we see what Jesus's death also defeated. He says, the ruler of this world be cast out. Jesus's death on the cross would also defeat Satan. Now at the cross, as Jesus is being put up there, I'm telling you, Satan is probably throwing his own little party. going, we did it. But in reality, the opposite occurred. See, Jesus died, he rose again, and he literally freed us, liberated us from sin's grip on our lives. And so sin and condemnation, they no longer have power over us. We've actually been now rescued from that. And so the cross we see was literally uh, the assurance of victory where Jesus sealed Satan's defeat. The very cross that Satan's like, I got him, is actually the very thing that destroyed him. Now, uh, Colossians chapter two, I I wanna read this. It's not gonna be on the screen because... I thought of this this morning, but in Colossians chapter two, I want to pick up in verse 13. It says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. It's through it's through the cross that that triumph was had. It's through the cross, Hebrews two fourteen. Uh, he said that through death he might destroy the one who is the power of death, that is the devil. And so it's through the cross. And and so as as a result, you guys, now this is why this this is so powerful for you and for me. Every opposition that Satan will throw at your way in your life, if you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you need to know this right now. He's throwing that at you from a place of defeat and desperation. He's already lost. Okay, so, so anything that you're facing right now that he's throwing at you, that's coming from a place of defeat and it's coming from a place of just desperation because he knows he's lost because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. And so what that means is this, any authority right now that the enemy has in your life, it's authority you're choosing to give him. Sometimes you just got to sit in a moment. He's defeated. He's been cast out forever. He knows it. What do you think he's going to do? Oh, I lost. Eh." No. He's desperate. It's like, I'm going to wreck everything I can on my way to that destination that I have. And I am going to try and throw every single person off who's trying to follow Jesus. And and, and so for some of us, man, we're getting hit with that. We're feeling overwhelmed with that. But man, you read these words and you go, whoa, hold on. Hold on a minute because the, the cross has brought about victory over this. And so guess what? You don't have the authority. You don't have authority over me. So at some point in time, you got to ask, why am I going to keep giving him authority? Because the only authority he has is me handing it to him. And so church, let's stop with that. Let's stop. He doesn't have it. So why would you give it to him? Jesus defeated that. Jesus's death has reconciled us to God. And that's when he says, what? And I, when I am lifted up from the earth on that cross, will draw all people to myself, is what he says. That final victory accomplished on the cross will draw people to himself. And then we see in verse 34 that this crowd is unable to accept the truth that the Messiah was to die And so we see uh, that they're responding. um, And and as they respond in 34, this is is what they said. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Right? So they had read bits and pieces of, of prophecy. Remember, like I said last week, they took all the things they wanted out of it. Uh, or or and, and they held on to those. The inconvenient things didn't so much want to listen to that, and so they built up the reality that the Messiah, when he comes the first time, he wasn't going to come as a suffering servant, as as the one that would die on their behalf. No, he's supposed to come and establish his kingdom and overthrow all the kingdoms in the world that are against God. That's what he's supposed to do for us. That's the Son of Man. That's the picture they have. Uh, Daniel chapter 2 verses 44. It's scripture like this that they had in their minds. It says this, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Now, was Jesus going to do that? Yes, when he comes back. But they're they're like, no, now, now, that's the son of man. So that's that's who the son of man is. Who is this son of man that you're talking about? That's what they're asking. Who is this son of man? And you guys, it's in this very moment that they realize he's not the Messiah they thought. He's not the son of man they wanted. And so you're brought into this scene and it's just getting more and more intense. And we're seeing more and more people come to the conclusion that he's actually not the savior that I want. I wanna close with reading 27 and 28a again, where it says, as Jesus is talking, he says this. I kept going back to this as I was studying. He says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. You know, I I think I kept coming back to this place because I just so deeply resonated with that feeling and emotion of, God, just get me out of this. I just want escape. I want relief. Whatever that means, whatever that needs to look like, God, just get me out of this. Whatever it takes, right? And man, I've, I've prayed that prayer recently. And I've battled that and so as I, I'm seeing Jesus like 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 know uh, that the cross is coming and, and, and feeling that emotion and, and and walking through that I go man I, I think a lot of us have felt this emotion of God just just rescue me from this but but the question is will I resonate with that and hold to that prayer request or will I resonate with what Jesus says next which I have the opportunity to say next in my life as well but for this purpose I have come to this our father glorify your name. Now, those are two dramatically different approach- approaches to the struggle that you find yourself in, to the battle you find yourself in. I can either continue saying, just rescue me, get me out of this, escape. Or I can say, just maybe God, by my pursuit and and following you and by your promises, just maybe this is a moment in time you've called me to. And Father, I can't fully understand what you're doing. And and yeah, maybe uh, I do wish it was different, but I pray over all of this that you would be glorified. Father, glorify your name. It's gonna come down to what am I gonna to choose to live for and what am I gonna to die to? And if I'm choosing to follow him, my life will reflect that. The question is this for all of us, and I was asking this as I was prepping. I was asking, what, what if someone pulled uh, a friend of mine aside uh, or someone that's that's interacted with me before and just asked them, what or who does Steve pursue? What or who does Steve pursue? And and, and and I was just thinking about, man, what would they say? What would they say? You guys, I want you to think about that for yourself. I want you to think about, you know, we're in a church. It's pretty easy in here to go like, oh, I pursue God. But I want you to ask yourself this morning the uncomfortable question. What if some of those people that rub shoulders with you, that connect with you, uh, that, that that have had interactions with you, if they were asked, who or what does your name? Who do they pursue? What would they say, guys? And if you want, if you want to glorify God, walk as Jesus walked. It will be hard. It will be difficult. But remember, He promises. I'm going to come and get you. You are going to be where I am, and I am going to honor your life. Amen. An honor that supersedes any hope or desire you could have on this earth. Cling to Jesus. Only He could do something from the cross like that. Praise God. The enemy is defeated. Stop giving Him authority. Let's pray.